Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. And welcome to Doing Time Show. I'm Peter, and we have Marissa here. Um, we're on it's eight five five a.m. Um, or streaming um, live on www.freecr.org.au. And it's approximately four oh one, and we're going to be having quite a few interesting interviews coming up on the show. First up, we have a pre-recorded interview of Zen- with Zenab peer advocacy team member from the Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre and she'll be speaking about racial profiling and what actually um, got her into working at Flemington. So she'll talk about that. And then after that, we'll be speaking with Anthony Kelly on the Flemington Kensington Community Legal Service Centre, sorry, and he is the Chief Executive Officer there. And he'll speak about the Police Accountability Project and also speaking about the Independent Investigations New Inquiry on External Oversight of Police Corruption and Misconduct in Victoria. So the broadcast is basically about police corruption and racial profiling. That's it. Um, so we're going to a song now called Refugee Catch Monday with Mixed Beans. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Freeze Hours Doing Time Show. This is Peter and Marissa's here too. Hello, yep. And um, as on behalf of the Doing Time Show, we wanted to actually welcome Zenab. And she's from the Advocacy Project at the Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre. But I'm sure Zenab will introduce herself in her own way. Hello and welcome to the program, Zenab. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, my name is Zanab, as you guys said. I am part of the Peer Advocacy Project uh, in uh, Flemington Kensington Legal Centre. And, yeah, uh, would you ask me to elaborate on that? Or? Yes, please. It would be great if you could talk about how you actually came to join the peer advocacy team um, and talk a little bit about racial profiling. Uh, well, yeah, um I think, well, uh, last year I was doing my placements in the Western suburbs and um, I don't know, like, I kept on hearing um, similar stories from the African youth about how um, they experienced um, unlawful um, stopping and, like, searching by the police 
which I um, which was uh, which wasn't the same experience of those uh, from the Asian and my Middle Eastern background because I used to mentor refugee migrant young people, and so when I heard those stories and then the peer advocacy came about, I wanted to join because I knew that um, the peer advocacy would provide me with some knowledge on how to answer um, some of the questions that the young people asked, and so I got involved and. Um, yeah, I never knew racial profiling actually existed prior to this. I thought, um, you know, I thought Australia was a cool country. So I never, and then now, yeah, so now that I've got involved in this, I, I'm starting to see that um, it's actually a big problem. Like at the beginning, I thought it wasn't as big. Now um, I'm hearing more stories. I'm hearing more African youth saying that um, they've been targeted more. Yeah, I actually thought it was happening. So yeah, it's very interesting. You, you know, Australia's a cool, you, you you thought Australia was cool, a cool country, and yet yeah. we're pretty backward as far as human rights are concerned. Can I ask you, if you don't mind, where you're from? I'm from Ethiopia, so it's in Africa. So you guys know, but yeah, fantastic. I'm an Af- yeah, you're African. Yeah, African. Yep. And do you so so? I, I know that I've been reading um, some of your articles, actually, and, you know, you're saying that African compu- communities are conscious of the problem, but we yeah. need the broader Australian community to be informed that yeah. this is happening in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, like, we, we need people to be aware and to acknowledge that it's happening because um, most people don't know it's happening. Like, it doesn't get reported, so... These things are happening, but um, you won't see, it, you won't hear it on the news. You know, you hear other stuff. Where, mm. um, you know, it's not just um, the thing is, um, I don't want to say it's only happening to the African youth, though, because we know that it's happening to um, Islander youth and the Indigenous young people too. It's a, uh, it's a thing against Black people, obviously, yeah. And so anyone of color is impacted by this, and uh, we need the wider Australian community, not just the African community or the Indigenous community or the um, Islander community, to be aware and that, like, you know, we need to speak up. And you co-founded Afro Society, didn't you? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so my friend, so last year, because at uni, I was never really involved in any activities. And so one day I was walking to the library and my friend, she was like, no, no, come, come, we're having a meeting. And I'm like, for what? She said, oh, there's a bunch of African youth, I mean, um, students having a meeting on, to, start, to start a student organisation. And then I went to the meeting and then I realised that we had a big cohort of African students within the university that I, I never really realised. And then um, when uh, when we met that day, we were all eager to start a, a little society that would allow us to showcase our um, heritage within the university. And like, so we built a little community there. Um, it's a, yeah, it's, um, it's been a year since we started the um, society. Uh, and, yeah. That's fantastic. And so just to talk a little bit more about racial profiling, what's the thing that really upsets you the most about racial profiling? It's so it's shocking, yeah, because um, with the racial profiling, you wouldn't think it would exist now. We're in 2017, eh? Mm. And so you'd think something like this shouldn't be happening, but it is. And so um, it's just increasing, actually. Like, it's, I feel like uh, we, we, we're not aware of it, but it's increasing. And so... It just annoys me that um, most people don't know about it. It annoys me that it's happening and that people who come here to seek asylum or to live here to, for a bit, like people have migrated here for a better life, yeah? And yeah. so um, they shouldn't be targeted just because of the colour of their skin. Um, I mean, they should be able to live freely and not fear the police because, you know, the police are there to protect them. So 
um, it, it really upsets me that um, like racial profiling still exists and um, it still is an issue today and that we're still talking about this today and we shouldn't be, so... Well, it's 2017, isn't isn't it? And, you know, yeah. basically, you know, no one should be policed on the basis of their race. Yeah. Do you think... Exactly, um, but... Oh, sorry. Go. Could go. Yeah. Oh, do you think that um, the mainstream media um, um, sort of highlights racial profiling, as in, you know, they portray racial profiling, I mean, like makes it worse sort of thing? I think, um, the, like, yeah, I would, I would say that the reason, like, a police would um, act in a way of, uh, would, um, you know, uh, would police a young person, would racially police a young person could be because of what's reported in the news. Yeah. As you see the news, um, normally, mm. usually, you don't see, um, you know, the positive things about African youth in the media or even other youth of colour. You see the negative part, the, uh, the apex, the whole uh, gang-related um, crimes and stuff like that, when in reality... Uh, majority of African youth or even people of colour, young people of colour, are doing good and are actually trying to work hard to achieve, you know, to aspire to be different than how the media, you know, perceives them, how the media highlights them. And mm. so I do think it plays a, a part in um, the, um, like, in the racial policing. But then I also think that it's um, it's something that's already embedded in people's upbringing because, like, we live in a society where it is, a major, like, it's a white country, you know, and so um, people from a young age are told that black, like they, people are, people are like have been um, somehow brainwashed to fear black people. It's um, yeah. um, the studies do show that that um, unconscious bias exists and stuff, all that stuff. And so um, the, a police officer is more likely to fear a young, a youth, uh, an African youth than they would fear a, a white youth, yeah, because that's just how this is, like our society is. That we fear black people, we think that black people are criminals, we think they're dangerous, and all that stuff. So, we're not we, but like what I'm saying is that the society thinks that. And so, I, mm. I think the media plays a big part, but also it's also systemic as well. So, absolutely, it's systemic. And how do you think we can put a stop to racial profiling? Well, yeah, um, as I said in the article, we we do really need to start talking about it because, um, like, no, not many people know about it. When I bring up this, um. When I bring up racial profiling, even to like um, people who are in the community sector, um, they're always like, "Well, are you sure this is happening? Because I've never heard about it." And I'm thinking, "Wait, so if people in the community sector don't know about it, then how are other people going to know about it? You know?" So I think we need to start talking about it, and I think the media really needs to highlight that racial profiling does exist, that racial policing is existing, is still happening in Australia, and um, it's just it is not just in the USA, and it's not. Um, in other countries of the world, you know, it's happening here as well. Yeah. And so the main thing is we need to start talking about it. You know, like we start, if we start talking about it, more people are aware, then we'll have more people like supporting us and helping us out in the with the with the issue. So, um, yeah, we just need to stop talking and you know, um, highlighting and reporting and stuff like that. Absolutely. I mean, it really gets to me when I go and see a movie about you know racial profiling or something to do with race and then you go out of the theatre and you hear the people say, oh, but that happened in the past. That doesn't happen now. <laughs> it does happen now. <laughs> <laughs> Zena, what are your goals um, in, in as peer advocacy team member? What are your goals um, in terms of this position? How do you think you can best help people? I know you, you were saying in your writing that, you know, you feel that... Um, people need to be informed more about their human rights, for example? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, um, as the peer advocacy group, what we do, we, like, our main um, role is to go around and educate um, uh, young people on their rights and all that. Yeah, so um, I think I, I just I, I want I want young people to know what their rights are, like under the Human um, Rights Charter, and even mm. under the like they need to know their rights, and they need to know how to respond to um, the police. So there's um, certain questions they don't have to answer the, that that I've learned since um, joining the peer advocacy pro- um, project, and so. Uh, what they need to know, like what I want for the young people, is that they need to um, I, they need to have a wider, like a better understanding of what their rights are, so that when they are in, like when they get stopped by the police, they will be able to have a positive interaction than a negative one. And so, yeah, I'd love to have you back on the show sometime to talk about the Charter of Human Rights um, in uh, relation to racial. It'll take a much longer. We wouldn't be able to do it today. But yeah. it would be very interesting for you to come back and, and have a look at that. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, yeah. Would, I would like to do that, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you got any final question, uh, final comments, sorry? Uh, no, just that, you know, that's, I don't know. I, um, yeah, I just want more people to talk about it, that's all, I guess. That's, I think that we need we, we need to start doing research. We need, we need to start, um, uh, you know... Um, acknowledging that's happening and that's all. Yeah, especially because overseas there's a lot more progress being made. Um, And later on in the show we're going to be speaking with Anthony Kelly, um, the executive officer there, about, um, you know, the the importance of independent investigation um, of police in particular. So, um, yeah, that, that's a that's a uh, that's another story. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so Zinab, um, yeah. where where do we um, people contact you or the peer pressure the, the peer peer advocacy group? Sorry. Uh, we have a Facebook um, page on so it's called the Peer Advocacy Project. Yeah. Uh, you know, people can like it and message us on that and. Um, I'm pretty sure you've got um, the um, centre's um, contact details so that people can contact the um, Flemington Kensington Legal Centre, Community Legal Centre. Yeah. But, yeah, the best way to contact the Peer Advocacy Project would be to go on our Facebook page. Awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. Look, thank you so much for, for coming onto the program and, you know, I'm hoping that we can certainly build up um, community by looking at respect for human rights, which is essential for a community, isn't it? Yeah, of course, yeah, hopefully. Thank you very much. Thank That's you. All right. Thank you for having me. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. And that was the um, interview with um, Zinab. Keep going. And it's approximately 4.18 and... Yeah, um, that was a, a very good interview with Zenab, and hopefully we'll be speaking shortly with um, Anthony Kelly from Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre. And it's approximately 4.18, it's approx- and basically Zenab is was the peer advocacy team member. And yeah. Peter, I believe you wanted to go into an announcement in music? Oh, no, I'd just like to um, talk about this. Um, the Herald Sun... Uh, have got this article, Call for Submissions During Public Probe into Police Complaint System. Concerns about the woeful, um, inadequate um, police complaints system have prompted a public inquiry into the investigation of police 
corruption and misconduct. So the Victorian pa- Parliament, a whole uh, independent board-based anti-corruption commission committee are calling for submissions um, to the inquiry. So, um, Peter, that's actually a really good um, introduction to the next interview that you're going to be doing because that's what Anthony's going to be talking about shortly. So um, that's really educational for listeners. Yeah, so we'll just go to a song now. This is um, Nocturnal with New Era. And you're back with the Doing Time show and Peter has just lined up Anthony Kelly from Flemington, Kensington, Community Legal Centre. It's approximately 4.23pm. Hi, Anthony. How are you going? Good, Marissa. How are you? Great to have you. Good, thanks. So, yeah, we we just had a, a really great interview with um, the peer support worker, advocacy worker. Yeah, she was She was fantastic. So, yeah, talked a lot about racial profiling and we discussed a little bit about um, police accountability towards the end and, of course, she made the comment that it's a story, another story in itself, but it is connected in some ways, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, uh, the people in our race discrimination case back in 2013, one of their um, original outcomes was for uh, complaints to be heard independently of police. And um, one of the things we've said is that if we did have a, a fully independent uh, complaint and investigative system, then cases like ours that cost millions of dollars uh, and take many, many years uh, wouldn't be necessary. Absolutely. So, um, you know, if, if, yeah, so if you had a system that could investigate uh, injustices effectively, promptly, uh, right at the beginning, just after they happen, then we'd just save so much time and effort to... to um, you know, to resolve the issues either way. Hey, let's get with the program. Let's follow Ireland and the UK and all that, huh? Yep. That's right, and Canada, the system Canada. as well. Yep. So, yeah, Anthony, so can you tell us a little bit about the um, the new inquiry on external oversight of police corruption and misconduct in Victoria? And I believe it's the first one. Well, it's the first one for many decades, really, Um so as, as many people would know, we haven't had an independent complaint system since the 1970s when um, there was a, a guy, Ian Freckleton, who was heading up a, uh, a very short-lived police complaints uh, authority in Victoria. Um, but um, we've generally either had the ombudsman look after police complaints or we've had the Office of Police Integrity provide minimal oversight. And now we have um, IBAC, the Independent Broad-Based Committee Against Corruption, uh, uh, provide, you know, again, a minimal amount of um, oversight of police complaints. So they can investigate um, uh, a small number of complaints if they see fit, and or they can just check on the police after a complaint's been finalised. And we mm. think those, all, those, both of those models were woefully inadequate um, for the needs of Victorians in terms of their you know, human rights protections and, and just police accountability in general. So, um, You're one IBAC, step ahead of me as usual. I was just about to, to say that about IBAC and you beat me to it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So basically um, the Victorian government, the current Victorian government has been reviewing uh, Victoria's integrity system now since they got to power a few years ago. Yep. And um, one of the uh, parliamentary committees that are looking at that is called the IBAC committee and they're, they're looking at the legislation surrounding IBAC. And um, they've, done, they've made a few inquiries 
you know, done a few public inquiries already around corruption and how IBAC works and how we can improve the legislation. But this time, um, and after some pressure from us and other community organisations and legal bodies, um, they've taken on the um, the task of uh, running a public uh, parliamentary inquiry into police oversight systems. So this focuses on the way in which police complaints uh, are handled and heard in Victoria. So in terms of... Um the parliamentary inquiry or review, and, and we know that it's got a particular responsibility to make sure that the investigations are effective and impartial with complaints against police. Can you give us, you know, a brief example? If that if that was going to be in place, what could be like a, a grassroots example to benefit to that, that would benefit from that? Okay, so um, if. Many many of the listeners would um, have heard about the, sh- the police shooting at Inflation Nightclub oh, yes. a couple of mornings ago, yeah. 3.40 in the morning. There was um, 40 uh, um, uh, critical incident response team police members stormed into the Inflation Nightclub after receiving a call about a person with a gun. And um, within a very short period of time, two people were shot. And the circumstances about what happened in that shooting uh, are under a bit of scrutiny at the moment. There, um, there's been quite uh, widely differing accounts from eyewitnesses and staff and management at the, at the nightclub uh, and what the police have formally said. And so this is a very classic example of, of why we need an independent uh, investigative team, uh, like a body that is resourced enough to be able to send a, a trained specialist investigative team um, to situations, to critical incidences like this, Within the first hour, the golden hour that investigators talk about after a, uh, an incident's occurred, and to be able to separate police members and interview uh, witnesses and police and to gather evidence and collect forensic um, evidence straight away and then produce a, uh, an independent report without the risk of bias and collusion or um, other things that can happen when police are called upon to investigate their own colleagues. And, yeah. so, and so some other jurisdictions, as we mentioned just before, have the um, in, um, non-police investigative teams and they have their own vehicles and some of them have helicopters and they can fly to a critical incident. There's a shooting out in regional Victoria. They'll get there very quickly and, um, and they'll be the ones interviewing police and making sure that police don't you know, um, um, talk before you know, collude their stories beforehand and all those before making statements. And they're able to, you know, they're very well trained in um, police procedures and guidelines. And um, only a small percentage of them might be former police or police from other jurisdictions. Generally, they're civilian investigators. And, um, yeah, it's very, it's incredibly effective and transparent. It sounds really transparent. And and I'm wondering I mean, I hope I don't put you on the spot here, but I wanted to mention Tyler Cassidy. Do you think that, you know, I mean, his death was quite traumatic, wasn't it? Do you think that this type of, um, if good, you know, with with all these trained investigators, do you think that would have helped? That would help the police oh, in any way? Yeah, absolutely. So, police-related deaths are a really key area where an independent investigative team would be critical, and Tyler Cassidy's tragic shooting would have 
um, potentially been resolved um, a lot more effectively and uh, investigated a lot more effectively by an independent team. There were lots of problems with the way it was initially investigated uh, and the way the family was, you know, dealt with and so forth. Um, and, you know, ironically, in a police-related death, uh, the state coroner has a purview and is able to, um, to you know, it's actually, the evidence is actually able to be brought before um, an independent body. Uh, and so, you know, we actually did get some, insights and recommendations from the coroner around Tyler Cassidy's death. But in a critical incident like inflation where nobody yeah. was killed, it's mm. simply the police doing it. Um, it even in uh, when there's a coronial investigation, the coroner um, currently relies on police to do the investigations. So again, it points to assist that we need a specialist team that is resourced enough to be able to do the investigation that is ex- um, hierarchically and institutionally independent from police. So, yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm quite intrigued that IBAC has, has actually called for this parliamentary review. Well, oh, so it's not IBAC itself. It's not? So IBAC is a set. No, no, it's, it's the IBAC committee. The IBAC the committee, par- okay. Yes. Yep. So, it's an, so it's a committee on parliament. It's chaired by um, the Honourable Kim Wells. Oh, I see. A, a, Lib- yep. a Liberal National Party member. And, he, and uh, it's a joint parliamentary committee, so it has Labor, Greens and, oh, and yes. uh, Liberal... Uh, representatives on it, and um, they've called the um, the inquiry into IBAC. Oh, I see. Thank so, you for clarifying mm, that. Mm. Yeah, and submissions are only open until the third of August. Can you let us know what the the role of the submission would be in case people, you know, listeners want to write submissions, organisations want to do that, sure, and how it works? Sure, sure. So anyone can make a submission to a parliamentary inquiry. Um, it only has to be clear and legible, and it can be. You can add your name to it, or you can um, notify the committee to have it made anonymously. But it can be a, a combination of direct experience. So, if someone's had an experience of going through the, compl- the police complaint system, either positively or negatively, you can um, make record that and make that into a submission. You can submit online, or you can submit, you know, with a um, via email or post. And, um, yeah, it's quite important. So this is an opportunity for people's voices to be heard um, who have gone through the complaint system and, and perhaps not found that it's very effective in their, um, in their case. So a lot of complaints, as we know, the vast majority come back as unsubstantiated or unfounded or uh, with some other reason that their um, complaint hasn't been um, found to be, um, mm. you know, yeah, so, um, and only less than 10% of complaints are actually ever substantiated and only 4% of complaints involving allegations of assault uh, are substantiated. So it's a very low substantiation rate with our current system and we know that when we put complaints uh, before independent judiciary, either at the magistrate or the county court level, um, well, then we get a very different result. So when the when the evidence is examined by an independent judge or magistrate, it's um, in all the cases that almost that were put before the court, they're found in our client's favour uh, yeah. against the evidence, the police's evidence. But when the police um, examine or assess that same evidence, they find it to be unsubstantiated. So yeah. that points to really significant failings in the current system in terms of the way that they, they are investigating, the way that police are assessing the incidents. 
And, um, yeah, so basically this is an opportunity for people to put their experiences on paper and let the parliament know what they, what you think is wrong with the current system. And it's also an opportunity for community organisations to put forward their views about what would make a better police complaint system in Victoria. I'm hoping that um, the African community put out a submission. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so a, a body that can um, really thoroughly investigate systemic issues is really important. So some um, we often have problems with what constitutes a serious complaint and what constitutes a non-serious complaint. So, for instance, a racial abuse or racial vilification might be assessed as non-serious. Um, so, so rudeness or a, a duty failure in the or something like that from a from a police officer or an or a allegation of racial profiling uh, where there's no violence or anything involved would likely be assessed as non-serious and therefore passed on to police. But if they happen a lot, either in the same area or in the same region or for the same reasons, um, then it indicates that there's a systemic issue going on and any sort of independent um, body needs to be able to... Um, both identify those systemic issues and then act on them really thoroughly so that they're nipped in the bud as soon as possible. Absolutely. And the Police Integrity, for instance, we, we made 50 complaints. Our centre, the legal centre, made 50 or over 50 complaints to the Office of Police Integrity and we were continually calling on them to uh, undertake a systemic investigation of what was going on in the Flemington North Melbourne region and they refused and therefore we had to take it all the way to the federal court to get some sort of outcome. So, that again, that issue, had there been an adequate independent um, body investigation, then we wouldn't have had to spend five years and, you know, cost the state many millions of dollars to get an outcome that identified and, and partially redressed racial profiling. It's very true what you're saying, and, and just to kind of tie that up, in, in regards to... The statement that I believe, is that right? Is that the Police Accountability Project put out a statement about yesterday's shooting? That's right. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's very, very um, informative in the sense that, you know, the statement says that people should, that the shooting should be investigated rapidly by a trained civilian team independent of Victoria Police. And it's interesting because civilian review boards are extremely important and, in fact, historically that came out of the Black Panther movement and, and other black movements. Yeah, that's right. There's long been calls to civilian review boards. They sort of have a different role. Often the, the civilian review boards that exist in the US and other mm. places are unfortunately not resourced enough to do their own investigation. Unfortunately. So there has, there has to be a body that is has enough resources yeah. to be able to do thorough, multiple and thorough investigations. Um, and so rather than just review um, existing uh, investigations, so at the moment IBAC simply doesn't have the resources to carry out the number of investigations it, it does. And, uh, and ironically, there's, there's perhaps 100 or more um, serving police members who are dedicated to investigating other police. Yeah. So um, it's, a, it's a waste of resources for the police to do that. So we... Part of what we're asking for is that the resources that and the, the um, you know the, the financial and other resources that go towards um, getting those serving members to investigate the police could easily be transferred to a, a non-police body. Yeah, yeah. I was just pointing out how similar 
how similar that that was, you know, and it's good to have that yeah. improvement with the team, yeah, as, as you said. And it's got to be prompt and well-resourced, like you said, transparent and, mm-hmm. and independent yep. because, I mean, too many times, um, you know, I've attended trials. In, in particular, I attended in Sydney um, a trial of the Hickey family, the persecuted Hickey family, mm. and what happened? They were persecuted because of TJ's death, because they they wanted yeah. um didn't they wanted a plaque put up, and the cops said no, that mm. um, has to be seen as an accident, and you know the the classic thing that you always hear in there in the courtroom by by police is I don't seem to recall, yeah, yeah, I don't seem to recall, I don't remember. Yeah. Now that that to me is is actually extremely unhealthy to have that, and you can tell you know that when police are investigating police, they are at liberty to say that they don't seem to recall. Mm, yeah, indeed, and that's so a, a a body with the powers and authority to um, to get witness statements and to get um, uh, police statements is very important, and IBAC do have those sort of powers to compel. Um, statements. They use them in various ways, and they did during the Operation Ross investigation into policing in Ballarat. Mm-hmm. Um, so those those powers to force um, uh, witnesses to make statements or um, police to make statements are very important, um, and they're mainly used in the anti-corruption context. Um, but yeah, so any sort of you know an independent body does also have to have those powers. But another benchmark that we're calling for is um, is victim-centred or is able yes. to incorporate the views and the needs of victims. And that's, again, where our current system is in a, it was just horrible and woeful that um, many complainants are treated as criminals, as, um, uh, as vexatious, they're treated as, um, you know, as problematic, rather than people who are genuinely trying to um, improve the system. Most, the vast majority of people that we see um, that come to us with a police complaint really want little more than an apology and um, an assurance that it won't happen again to other people, what they've experienced. And so at, at heart, they're trying to improve the system, and that's where, um, that's where the current system is failing. Uh, victims are being treated um, horribly, and their complaint is not being taken seriously to improve policing in general. And it's as we saw with the inflation nightclub shooting, these are issues that speak to public safety um, in a very real way. Uh, if there's training, if there's procedural issues, if there's uh, any issues with the way police um, carried out their actions on that particular night, um, shooting two people in a nightclub, um, then it's something that, that Victorian public which should want to see redressed straight away. You know, Anthony, this is just priceless. I'm, I'm having a look at um, part of the statement here and the quote from the Victoria Police Northwest Metro Region Superintendent Hardman saying she was satisfied with the conduct of the police members involved in the incident, which involved 40 cri- critical incident response team members entering the nightclub and shooting two people. Forty? Mm, right. is, yeah. is that correct? That's not a typo, is it? No, forty. About that many. That's, that is what we, <laughs> that's what's been reported. Sorry. Um, so yeah. they obviously treated it as a very serious um, when they've got a call. Of course. About it. Yeah, yeah. They obviously treated it very seriously, and that's fair enough. Yeah, it is. The way, the way they reacted inside the night 
the nightclub and uh, whether or not he had um, the person who was shot had actually something in his hand. Yeah, yeah, I'm not suggesting that it wasn't serious, but but that's over the top, isn't it? Yeah, potentially, but it's but that's all, that all should be looked at very objectively. Yes, um, by an independent body, and so whether the police are able to make that sort of judgment is really um, uh, is really is really questionable. Correct. Um, the, the other, the, the statement from the superintendent, this is a bit of a perennial issue, is that senior police have a um, uh, propensity to come out and support their um, their officers after a shooting incident like this. Yeah. And it's sort of understandable because, sure. they, you know, the, the police would want to back up their members mm. uh, like yeah. this. However, it's hugely problematic because their colleagues are investigating their, their members at the same time. And so... Um, so this superintendent, in making that statement that she was satisfied, preempted the outcomes of any sort of investigation, correct, and potentially and potentially influenced it. Yeah. So this is a really so we've we've been calling on police to not do that for some time, um, but it's it's such a um, a perennial issue is that their their first go to point is to try and frame the incident in a particular way that. Um, um, supports the police version of the story, uh, and it's it's understandable, but it's hugely problematic, and it's something that um, again will be mitigated if we had a fully independent complaints body. Yeah, and and for the benefit of listeners, Anthony, you know, I think it's safe to say that with this particular incident, if if the area was cordoned off, as you said in the statement, was a the project said in the statement, and evidence secured, witnesses interviewed within the first golden hour after the event. And that was your quote, yeah. I believe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's the critical time when an investigative team should should get there. It's not always possible, but it's no. certain, it certainly, um, um, after a shooting incident like this, then the, uh, an investigative team would be, very, would be prepared to get there uh, very quickly. And again... This, the other element of this, of course, is that it restores public trust that an investigation is actually going to be fair and impartial afterwards, and that's very important. Yeah, I know we kind of got a little bit very specific today, but it's terribly important for listeners to understand, isn't it, Anthony, about the importance of independent investigations, and indeed the Doing Time show has covered this topic extensively over the years, and it's always good to keep it alive um, in light of this new investigation or review that's happening. That's right, yeah. And it's, again, it's an opportunity for groups, for individuals to put in a, um, a submission. Uh, it's very important to do so. You, like, people can go to our website, uh, which is policeaccountability.org.au, for lots of resources about what an independent model can look like and the human rights benchmarks that we're looking, that we're asking for. Uh, and but people can also just write down their story and um, and let the IBAC committee know that that, that, that this is important. Uh, and they can do that online. So you can follow the links to the parliamentary committee websites where they have an online form. And people can write a quite a short you know submission, uh, which is very helpful. Or they can look at the resources on our on the website and and uh, make a more detailed one if they want to. Anthony, thanks so much for coming onto the program. Do you have any final comments? No, I just encourage people to um, to submit and to keep checking out the resources available on our website. And it's partly this, you know, the keeping police accountable. Accountable is a huge, um, you know, 
system-wide jobs. So the more more pressure we can bring to bear, the better. Thank you very much, Anthony. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks. Take Bye-bye. care. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Bye-bye. And that was Anthony Kelly from the Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre speaking about a new parliamentary review um, from the IBAC committee um, in regards to a new police inquiry. And just as a postscript to that interview, and we were speaking amongst many topics um, about the shooting incident at Inflation's nightclub. I forgot that nightclub actually still exists, actually. It's been there for, for years. A bit of a blast in the past. But had this incident occurred in Belfast, London or Toronto, an independent civilian body would have commenced investigation of the incident immediately. Trained civilian investigators would have attended the scene, separated and interviewed civilian and police witnesses and collected and preserved forensic evidence. Civilian investigators are trained in clinical investigation techniques, crime scene management and have specialist knowledge of police protocols and procedures. They form the ideal response to these sorts of incidents and can investigate without bias and conflicts of interest. And that was just a direct quote from the statement that was put out for, from by the Police Accountability Project um, of the Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre. And we all know the diff- the major, major difference. I know this is in Victoria, but I have to resist. I can't resist um, saying this, that we all know the difference it would have made to um, Cameron Damudgee, um when he died, that horrible um, death in custody in Queensland. Yeah. It's approximately 4.48 and uh, just a reminder, listeners, about Radiothon that there's still quite a lot of unpaid pledges that haven't come in and we understand that, that people are, are busy um, but it's not too late to um, to send that in. So please um, pay, pay your pledges if you haven't done so already and for the people that have donated to the 3CR Radiothon um, already, thank you very, very much. I'll just go to an announcement then of the song. Three CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out. To sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. And you're with 3CR 8.55am. This is um, Asylum is a Crime by Pata Physics. With a doing... Oops. Then you're back with the Doing Time show and it's approximately 4.52. And I just wanted to make a a very quick announcement for people that are interested. Um, Just wanted to say that Anarchist Black Cross Melbourne is actually organising, have organised a Writing to Political Prisoners workshop and it's part of the Animal Liberation Conference. It starts at 4.30, Saturday the 15th of July, Ross House, 247 Flinders Lane, Melbourne City. And, yeah, it's approximately 4.52 and um, we haven't got much time left. Wanted to actually especially thank Anthony Kelly today for organising um, Zenab 
the um, peer support advocacy worker that's um, that was interviewed about racial profiling. Thank you to Anthony as well for coming on the show. Both guests were from Victoria and from the Community Legal Centre. And, um, yeah, so maybe you've got a song, Peter, and then we can um, go out with our usual theme song after that with Blackfella, Whitefella. Yeah, I'll just put on Combat Wombat, um, Babylon Time Bomb. And Beyond Zero's up next. And um, it's good fight. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from Marissa. And stay tuned next Monday, every Monday, 4 to 5, for the Do and Time show. And, we've and we're got, on podcast now. <laughs> Sorry, Marissa. Yeah, we are on bo- podcast. Yeah. And we also have Claire Seppings coming in next Monday. Okay. See you. Bye-bye. Bye.